Are you pregnant or a new mother steering parenthood? Pregnancy and birth of a baby is a life-changing event, an event that will make you happy, weepy, frustrated, joyous and exasperated all at once. Hi, welcome to my podcast Baby Ahoy. I'm your host, birth coach and expert Chitra Natarajan. I'm a birth enthusiast who loves drinking cups of chai, taking long walks in the woods and all things interiors in equal measure. I will be talking to an interviewee every other week to discuss birthing experiences, coping with the new role of being a parent and other valuable topics to navigate parenthood. This journey is bumpy but certainly blissful. Join me from wherever you are for a fun conversation. Rudolf, thank you so much for being here and I'm really excited to actually record your story in my podcast. So for people who are listening to this particular episode, I want to introduce you to Rudolf. Rudolf was my hypnobirthing father. Rudolf and his partner Fernanda did the hypnobirthing course a couple of years ago for the birth of their baby, baby Elena, and I requested Rudolf to be part of the podcast so that we can talk about his role as a support person, as a companion, as a birth partner and also a partner to Fernanda to be able to sort of like help her with pregnancy and also with the um, laboring process and also the postpartum. So, thank you Rudolf. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. And um, yeah, please share your story as to how you are here in the Netherlands. Thank you, Chitra. Yeah, and thanks for inviting me to to share my story. I think uh, you know we all the, we all probably think that our stories are not that glamorous or nothing special, but uh, then again, the more you listen around, the more stories differ, right, from people. So yeah, my name is Rudolf Essel. I'm a born and raised South African. I've lived in the Netherlands since uh, what's it now, August two thousand fourteen. Oh wow. Okay. And. Uh, yeah, uh, lived in Hilversum, so uh, just around the corner from you. So just yeah. by a coincidence. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then how? Uh, yeah, me and my my wife Fernanda. So we also met in, in in Hilversum. She is actually from Brazil originally, and she'd been in the Netherlands a bit longer than me. So yeah, we bumped into one another, and uh, when we decided to get married, and then decided to get a family, she was of course uh, both of us coming from dare I say third world countries where mm-hmm. uh, our exposure to the birthing experience is, is somewhat different uh, and yeah. I don't think it's so open as, as we've seen people talk around in the local societies yeah but uh, she she told me that she would like to do a birthing class back in the days and then I was like yeah by all means whatever that might mean for us yeah and then she told me she was going to do a hypnobirth class or rather we are going to do a hypnobirth class I was like hypno <laughs> what I thought okay I uh, might as well uh, just sit back and, and get some popcorn because this could get interesting right <laughs> Um, and then, uh, yeah, I remember still our very, our very first call where we had, uh, it was ourselves and I think three other couples yes. and, uh, actually we, we, we got off quite well from, from early outset and to the extent that all the mothers from that group are still like in a WhatsApp group and friends and they tend to hang out every month or so. That's so beautiful. So, it's really yeah. beautiful. You sort of like, you know, have that click and, you know, everybody sort of like keeps in touch. And that's one thing that I absolutely long for, you know, in, in a group setting where, parents sort of like hit it off with each other i think that's it's really beautiful because i don't have to intervene and everything sort of happens magically yeah and i also remember well from our group i mean there were some quite interesting questions being asked by everybody and uh, quite openness to to respond seriously so uh, yeah I, I learned a lot I, just, I recommend the course to others as well as a introverted education knowledge hunger individual i of course did a lot of research myself and how to go mm-hmm. about this because I, quite frankly, was quite terrified of the birthing experience uh, early on. I remember growing up, mm. the kind of stories you hear about births are always kind of terrifying. 
it's just something that for a man you don't want to be I, I always thought I didn't want to be a part of I'm also not fond of blood so I always used to joke with my wife and say look if one day you were to have a child it's probably better that I don't join you at the hospital because otherwise the doctor would have two patients to take care of <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, no, that was, and then she said, no, that wasn't funny. I thought it was just, okay, it is what it is, but I worked hard on myself to, to be there, yeah. to be supportive and, yeah. um, up to the very end, I did quite well, I thought, right. um, right. but, uh, we don't have to go into too much detail straight away, but I also did a lot on my end. So, uh, despite the course that, that we attended, I, I did quite some research and reading. I mean, yeah. we were watching videos and whether it was YouTube or, or a podcast that we find on Laugh Found Online. I think I quickly went to my bookshelf before our session to see exactly how many books I had read up until the first birth. And I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books oh, that wow. I worked, worked my way through. So you can argue in the nine months of pregnancy, I probably did one a month on average. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'm still you reading. So birth, you know, the book list to our listeners, I think it's really fantastic because, you know, what I remember very, very vividly because we did the class online. Because, you know, this was during the peak of the pandemic, you know, when uh, you and Fernanda were actually doing the course with the other couples. So the classes, the sessions were online. And I was so impressed with how well prepared you were to be able to ask me all the right questions to receive the right answers, the answers that would work for you. So I could actually sort of still see and understand that you were like, ah, you were making those connections saying that, ah, this is what probably what it is. So you definitely did a lot of preparation. So you definitely was a, was the kind of person, oh, well, is a kind of person who wanted to be absolutely sure that you didn't leave any stone unturned. You wanted to be absolutely prepared for what is to come. To the extent possible, yeah, because uh, I mean, one of the first things you get from from the books that you read is they tell you no two births are the same, uh, exactly. no, two, no two kids are the same. So, I mean, I think if I had a euro for every time I read that in one of the books, I'd probably be quite rich now. But and and and, and all the, all, the, so all the books pretty much state that. And in hindsight, I think it, once I've read two or three, I didn't read anything new in all the others. Mm. They just uh, all the books were just from different perspectives. I mean, the one was one would be completely from the mother perspective. What's the mother going through? How what Correct. her fears might be, etc. Another book would be like, I think one of the books you introduced to was the Men uh, Love and Birth from uh, was it Mark yeah. Harris, the the yeah, male the male midwife from midwife, the yeah, yeah, that one that example. Book. The very yeah. first book I read was actually from Here to Paternity, which is actually thinking back probably more of something that I enjoyed reading as a bit of a laugh. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book, but basically the man, uh, when they are pregnant, he starts capturing in his diary the, the nine months building up to, uh, to, to the birth. And some mm -hmm. of the stories are just from his experience are quite funny and, and I could relate to a lot of it. And of course, there's a lot of books about the expectant father, the expectant dad, etc. What, exactly. what, what book I will not recommend is reading anything related to, uh, to the screaming babies. Uh, kind of stuff. How do you deal with it? Um, that that right. for me was a bit overkill. So in mm -hmm. hindsight, probably a waste of a book. But right. yeah, no, I I try to educate myself as much as possible. Also mm -hmm. because I uh, I wanted to play a supportive role. I didn't want to be baggage in the hospital room. Correct. Yeah, I understand. Um, because the both of you were navigating the Dutch system, because you know you're from South Africa, Fernanda's from Brazil. How was it for you when you were interacting with the midwives? And because we were also talking about a time where you probably couldn't go to the midwives' appointments with Fernanda. Am I right? Or was there was a bit of a, a you know a lease period where you could? I was allowed at some of them. Down. Yeah, I was allowed at some of the meetings. So yeah, it was indeed around the time that the restrictions fluctuated. So I remember going going to the first two, I think, and then I wasn't allowed to join, and then. Close to the end, I was allowed to go again. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, of course, I don't have anything to compare with because I never experienced midwife support or of stuff uh, previously. So I of can't course. really, but I didn't have this world 
uh, existent. I mean, I also, I think I mentioned multiple times during the class where, for where I'm from, it was just common that everybody did a C-section. Exactly. The concept of uh, normal birth is just, yeah. It was yeah, just not so nine, 1900s or, or something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. So that in itself, I guess, was a bit scary because then you also realize, okay, it could be at any time of night and uh, you need to be ready and need to know who to call. Right. Um, I think the interaction was, was kind of good. I, I mean, the, the people that do this kind of work as well, I mean, they, they, they angels, right? They, yeah. they, they're special kind of people in person to, to do that kind of job. So the interaction I had with all of them were very, very nice, very considerate, very supportive, always very clear nice. in communication, always very uh, clearly caring to, about Fernanda. So that gave me a lot of comfort for sure. Very nice. That's really, really nice to hear. Because the system is very different, and how did your respective family members react to how you were preparing for this kind of birth? Especially, say, for example, if you were talking to your siblings or your parents, your mum, or Fernanda said, because, you know, Fernanda's from Brazil, and again, C-section rates are really high over there. Do you remember any of those conversations? I'm quite curious. I don't actually recall having any conversations about this. Um, okay. at, at best, it was like, yeah, what is it? Are you going to go to hospital or something? Mm. And then she said, we, we would tell them we did a birthing class and they would ask, oh, okay. And I'm like, hypnobirth. And like, what on earth is that? And then, uh, <laughs> so now it, it's also foreign for them. It's not something they're familiar with. So yeah. now we didn't have any conversations that I can recall. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, why are you trying to do hypnobirthing or, you know, why don't you just go off to the hospital? Nothing of that sort. It was just like very open and they were like, oh, if you guys are doing this and planning for it and just go for it, it's your choice. Yeah. Those conversations I would say we had more locally. Um, mm. I mean, it's something I very quickly realized is that all of a sudden everybody's got an opinion on how things should be done. And exactly. you get you get told by pretty much every person that you meet, oh, this is actually what you should do or this is the right way. That's the right way to, to an extent where... I mean, a couple of times I can recall politely telling people, look, I mean, we are still up to make our own choices and we will do what feels what we feel comfortable with. But I mean, I think you need to have a very, very thick skin because most people kind of probably also mean well. I mean, I'm also now having had a child, I'm very open to share my opinion and my experience to others, but others might also perceive it as a bit, uh, you know, exactly. too much. Yeah. I mean, we even well-intentioned family and friends, they all have their own opinions. So it's always oh, yeah. about, you know, yeah, absorbing what you want and letting go the other where you, know, you just sort of feel like, well, I don't want to listen to that one. You just sort of nod your head and move away. We've been in a unique, fortunate, as well as unfortunate position, I guess, in the fact that both our families are far away. So we don't yeah. have relatives nearby. And also because of the pandemic, nobody could travel to come and help. So right. uh, after Fernanda gave birth, it was just the two of us. And yeah. I think that that is quite tough. For, fortunately, the first week having the, uh, the, uh, the f yeah coming in to help that that makes a big, big, big difference. But after that, it's you know you're left alone all of a sudden. Yeah. And uh, on the one hand, yes, you do miss the support, and even now to this day, that's something that I always tell people: you can say what you want about your mother-in-law, but the reality is, it's very helpful to have an extra pair of hands and experience, uh, at least at this time when you're inexperienced, when you're tired most of the time. Right. But at the same time, it gave us the privacy to do things the way we felt was right. Yes. So we didn't have to deal with all the, you know, this is how you should or you shouldn't do things. We had the freedom to, you know, do what, you know, what we felt comfortable we with. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like the, the family unit of three. So the both of you were actually sort of discovering your role as parents yeah. and just sort of like adapting to the new situation. As much as it is really unfortunate because, you know, definitely having an extra pair of hands would have been the perfect sort of scenario where, you know, if it was your mom or somebody from your side of the family or her side of the family being around would have definitely helped. Absolutely. So I want to sort of like talk a little bit more about Fernanda's birth with baby Elena. 
Elena is about a year and a half old now. So what do you recall from that day? Um, I recall <laughs> pretty much everything. <laughs> I recall pretty much everything in detail. Oh, wow. Um, from, from waking up at two o'clock in the morning and seeing Fernanda going for a shower. And I'm like, why on earth are you going for a shower at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> to, uh, to her telling me at five o'clock, it's mm-hmm. it's happening. She feels happening, and uh, both of us just going up, doing a going for a bit of a walk around the park. Fortunately, it was summer, so that definitely helped for that aspect. To me going back and thinking, okay, well, from what we've heard, what we've been told, what we've read, these things can take many hours, right? So I went back to work with the intention of uh, working half day, wrapping up, doing handovers because uh, Elena was about a week early, so mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't everything wasn't as organized for me in the professional status I would have liked it ideally. Sure, but. I think after about half an hour, Fernanda told me, look, this is uh, picking up pace and I had to expedite my, my handover and everything. And then I also even called, I remember calling the, the midwife mm-hmm. where I said, look, uh, we think it's happening. Um, and she asked, okay, well, how, how what, what time did it start? How far apart are the contractions? Now, these details I cannot remember exactly, but I do remember that coincidentally, the midwife was in the neighborhood. And uh, she told me, you know, don't worry, I'll just pop by, have a look and check Perfect. and we can uh, see how to go from there. And uh, I remember when she arrived, it was around about 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. She went to the bedroom with Fernanda. She came out and she told me, we need to go to the hospital now. And she was, I think, already four centimeters. Yeah. So uh, we were all like, oh, geez. And then at that stage, beforehand, Fernanda was still thinking she would like to go for the water birth. I mean, what we saw also from videos, what we read and everything, she thought that would probably be something ideal. But then to go for a water birth, I think we would have to go to Utrecht. That was the closest one. Mm-hmm. And when the uh, when the midwife called Utrecht, they said they didn't have any water baths available. So it, okay. up, so it wouldn't be possible. So we had to go to the local hospital. Right. But in secret, the, the midwife whispered to me, she's like, we wouldn't have had time to go to Utrecht anyway. Okay. So uh, this okay. was the better way to go. And then we got to the hospital. Friends took us. And uh, it was very peaceful. I remember also the, the midwife had a, a, a trainee with us as well. So mm-hmm. a young one that was being trained, also very nice helping and trying to be in the way. But Fernanda really prepared well in terms of her birth preferences, how she would like to go about it, her breathing exercises, uh, the kind of music that I'm allowed and not allowed to put on the background, the interaction. Like one thing she absolutely hated was to be asked every five minutes, how are you, how are you, how are you? So, mm-hmm. And people mean well while they do it, but she would really wanted to be in her zone. And right. so that was a big role that I had to pick up was to be yeah. the, the recipient of any questions and stuff and make decisions if, uh, if need be, if, especially if she's not in a space state to make the decision herself. Yeah. And it just went well. I mean, also Fernanda was is very bad with pain, so she was terrified about the birthing experience in that sense. And she w- also thought about drugs. She didn't want to put in her birth preference no drugs because she thought that if the pain gets too much, she'd rather have drugs in that sense. But I mean, she did amazing. She went through it all without uh, epidural or anything in that in that front. She she really really uh, was was strong. And my role was, again, being next to her maybe every uh, couple of minutes, put a wet cloth over her head, maybe to cool her down or so, bring her water, bring her a stool or a balancing ball or whatever she wants to to move around. Hmm. And uh, yeah, or the other thing, of course, we made very clear up front is that we didn't want to see the placenta or anything like that, please. Uh, you know, we also hear about the, the, the jokes of the yeah. placenta lasagnas and all these weird stuff that happen in the world. <laughs> and we have absolutely no interest in, uh, in any of that. So uh, we had to said that goes straight. Despite telling them we didn't want to see it, they still offered me at the end. Are you sure you don't want to see it? But uh, I, I You were like, away. no, 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 don't want to. Okay. No. And yeah, I think, like I said, we 
we probably reached the hospital around 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. by 3 o'clock, I think she was done. Okay. And by 5 o'clock, we were back home. Oh, wow. Wow. Walking. That was really quick. Very yeah, quick, yeah. really quick. So being in the hospital and, of course, so you were definitely the mediator. You were, you know, you were definitely the recipient for all these, you know, questions or anything else that was going on for the birth. And um, so it was not a water birth, I suppose. So she, you know, ended up giving birth on land. Correct. Do you remember... Do you remember any position that she took to be able to birth? Or do you remember sitting on a birth? Well. I, remember, I remember too well because uh, she actually wanted to go into the birthing stool. Right. And then I had to take the position behind her so yeah. she could lean on my knees. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the position walked around. She laid down on the side a bit, flat, walked mm. around. So she kept moving on t- uh, to find what she was comfortable with. And then right. at the end, she took the birthing stool. Okay. Uh, but then I was behind her. And I also remember then it was like the heat of the moment where, you know, it is a bit more like the movies where the groaning is a bit louder and uh, there's definitely a bit more pain involved. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I actually, I, I'm so hesitant to share, but I might as well come clean. I always, I remember I said up front that I thought that I shouldn't go to the hospital because the doctor might have to, to look after me as well. Because I am not good with blood in general. Now, sure. when she was sitting in front of me and the midwife would be like, stop, don't push, relax, breathe, etc." I was sitting behind and then it became tense. And I remember there was a specific moment where she said, stop, she said, push now. She said, stop, 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 look. And when she said, look, I also peeked over from under shoulder and I could see the head of the baby. And then I just saw black, like the curtains dropped in front of me where I remember looking at the, the trainee that was in the room and I told her, you need to take my position. I'm going to the floor. Mm. <laughs> so Fernanda mm. has this memory of, like, yeah. yeah, no, it became too much. I mean, the moment was, uh, I, I fainted essentially. So right. Fernanda, we used to laugh about it because she saw the baby below her and to her right she saw me laying on the floor so uh, right. <laughs> so that that part of it i remember hearing everything about that part i couldn't really see right but and it then, was really nice that the trainee was there and she came and actually took um oh took yeah but uh, we also had these agreements up front we said look uh we might need extra help on this so we might tell you not to uh, sure so that was definitely helpful yes yes yeah, it's an embarrassing and- moment for me but uh <laughs> No, but see, these things happen, right? I always say this even in, in, you know, when we go through these classes, these sessions, we put a lot of onus on the dads saying that, you know, you're going to be the support person. You're the mediator between the mother and the care provider. You're the one who's, you know, standing up and you're the voice for the mother when you write down your preferences. You're the advocate for all the preferences. You're the recipient for all the questions. There's a lot of onus on you. And you being in the laboring room is also new for you as an experience. And you probably don't have this experience of, you know, having to go through this in a hospital setting. The whole experience is a new experience for yourself. And also the smell of the blood, the smell of the hospital, it's very sterile, the white room, it's all of that. And then on top of it, Another thing that we always say, well, I always sort of say that, okay, try to stay behind, you know, the mother, just in case if you don't want to see what is going on. But sometimes these things happen. And it's good that, you know, you've actually shared this so that, you know, dads also don't sort of feel like, gosh, you know, something like this can happen. And, you know, this is probably not how it should be. But that's not the case. For you going through that intense experience and for you to look at the baby's head, it's not easy because you're not a trained professional to be able to no, do that. But it's- it's it's not just so much that it's it's more it was more emotional for me I would say because you see your partners in a lot of discomfort and you really yeah. can't do anything about it right yeah you want to help uh, I mean as a 
as a, I don't know if you call, would call it an alpha male or so, but also in my culture, you know, the man, man stands up, the man provides, the man takes care. I and am. if there's a problem, the man solves the problem. But in that moment, you're kind of, you feel helpless. And, and yeah. that is, that's kind of a lot to take in and having to yeah. deal with. Despite yeah, the fact that how, how well you prepare up front beforehand, yeah. these things you only really know when it happens. And then oh, also you got to be spontaneous to some extent. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, we talk about a lot of compassion and empathy in the laboring room. And I think we also forget sometimes that, you know, the same compassion and, you know, and empathy that we need to show for the dads as well, because, you know, it's a lot when the dads go through something, when they see that their partner is going through something so intense, and then they feel helpless. So thank you so much for sharing. I think it is, um, it's really interesting that you actually share this one, because it's important for people to know that these things can happen, and there's nothing wrong with it. And it's okay for you to feel the way you feel. And then you sort of like come back. Do you remember at what point you came back? And you know, you oh, were yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're gonna laugh even more. Uh, because I remember, it was I think it was maybe 1015 seconds or so. Okay. And then they, uh, or I don't know how long it was, but Maybe it's longer actually, but when I started seeing again and I looked up, they held the baby in front of me and they were like, Would you like to cut the umbilical cord? And then I passed out again because (laughs) I had to go back to the floor. That's a a bit of something we can laugh, the families can laugh, and the friends can laugh about now. Um, but because that's not something I'm uh, I'm, I'm good at handling, but yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't long that I was out. I can, I remember I kept on hearing everything, but just the visuals were sure, 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 absolutely. I wanted to, you know, talk to you about something else as well, because now you're also expecting your second one anytime now, yes. you know, you're pregnant with the second one and, you know, the baby is due anytime now. How are you feeling? And have you and Fernanda at least spoken about this? Because, you know, this is an experience that happened with you with the first time around. And this is something that you've also shared with your uh, midwives as well, so that you can be a little bit more better prepared. And maybe for you, um, Rudolph, to not actually see when the baby is actually maybe arriving, that's something that you've sort of like processed or thought about? Yeah, I think it's uh, once again, it's uh, on the spur of moment, you can't necessarily control it because Mm -hmm. uh, if it's right in front of you. But our approach this time is quite different in the sense that we've now gone through it and we've realized you know that it, it, a lot of it is just natural a lot mm-hmm. of it, your instincts kick in you've got your good support system around you yes add to the fact that we have a toddler which keeps us busy which doesn't didn't give us remotely the time we had the first time around to prepare <laughs> get ourselves uh, get everything in order yeah. I mean, you're pretty much busy all the time still up until the, the next one is born I mean, in terms of birth preference for for example, I think we could could literally take the same as last time, maybe tweak right. one or two things here. Logistics a bit different because we're in a different town, we'll be a different mm-hmm. hospital, different midwife, etc. Uh, first time around, I didn't have a car, so I was dependent on friends to take us to the hospital. This time around, I've got a car, so I'll be oh, driving myself. We have already arranged for somebody to be available to look look after Elena if, uh, if we need to leave the home. So I think there's a lot more, at least I'm a lot more at ease. Uh, simply because I know somewhat what to expect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because that definitely helps because you've had that experience and you sort of feel like as much as I'm in a different city, but I know how to handle this. I also wanted to ask you this and not to completely throw you off your comfort because the last time you said, when you know, when, when Elena was four to six centimeters open and, you know, it was definitely a, a quicker sort of birth from going to the hospital at around half past 10 and then the birth happening around three o'clock in the afternoon. Have you considered home birth this time? Uh, no. Okay. No, we're not, uh, we're not comfortable with that for multiple reasons. 
No, because you also have a toddler, so it's absolutely okay. That is probably the main reason. It will just be too stressful to have the toddler around as well. Yeah, no, just also based on experience. Yeah, you've decided that you know somebody's going to come and watch Elena, and you're definitely going to go to the hospital. Yes. Yes. Okay, that's fine. Because sometimes you know these plans, as much as we are sort of like making all these plans, and it just sort of like you know, meanders and it takes its own course. So I was just curious about, have you thought about this just in case, you know, if it happens really quickly, that would you actually stay back at home? But stay if staying back at home is going to be more stressful because you have a toddler at home and that shouldn't be the case, you know, so. I mean, there's always a possibility that things happen so quickly that we don't have time to go to the hospital, but that certainly is uh, <laughs> not our ideal way. I mean, all, especially, that's one of the things I probably we were quite scared of the first time around, you know, because mm-hmm. you often hear stories about you go to the hospital and then they look at you and they say, nah, you still got a way to go. And they even send you back home. I mean, that remembered to one of the, the couples that was with us in the, in the, in the group, right? Remember? And, and that all idea for me was so traumatic that I thought, no, no chance, no chance. Yeah. Yeah. You want to leave the hospital at the right time so that you know well, what can happen. Let me put it this way. Either we go to the hospital and it's planned and that's when we're going to do it, or we plan to do it at home and that's where we do it. Because right. I can also, I can also imagine that, or at least I would imagine that going to the drive from home, for example, to go to the hospital can also change the mood and the flow for the woman in going in the process. Exactly. And that in itself can be traumatic then. If you mm-hmm. then, let's say, arrive at the hospital, things slow down because, let's say, you have a change. That, that, that I think, will add more emotion to the situation. And if yeah. there's something I, yeah, I, I believe in is having a bit more of a peace of mind, being more calm. I mean, you don't want people's running and shouting and then talking loud around you that was something we always try to keep it as calm as possible and yeah yeah perfect really cool i also wanted to ask you a little bit about the postpartum period because you said that you know you were sent back home at around five o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. that must have been very surreal for you to sort of like go with fernanda being like you know fully pregnant to coming back home with a small tiny baby it just feels surreal uh yes all of a sudden you you've got a baby, right? There's no longer in mommy's belly where it's being, it's eating and drinking there. Now all of a sudden you have baby. And then, I mean, Elena was also a bit on the small side. So then they would, t- would be a bit cautious that we need to make sure that she gets a lot of, uh, gets sufficient milk, etc. You got to look after temperature of the baby. A lot of things that, yeah, you just don't know beforehand that I learned at that time. So that to me was a bit, yeah, it's, it's just weird. Yeah, there's it's nothing. I wouldn't even call that being a natural feeling because you just it just feels awkward all of a sudden. Yeah. What I remember best about that is, of course, we took a photo when we got home with a little one. So literally, this is from having given birth two hours later, standing in front of our door with uh, me and my wife, Cameron, wow. holding a little baby and sharing the photo with my family. And they're all like, why what? did you tell? No, they thought that we had, Elena and Fernanda had given birth a day or two days earlier. I mean, how can you already be walking, uh, stairs and everything, two hours later? That that for them yeah. was surreal. But everything at home was also pretty much set up. So mm-hmm. uh, I think roughly about a week before, well, maybe even a week and a half before uh, the due date, we had everything packed. Beds made, clothing packed, everything. So, you know, when, when it happened, everything was, was as it should have been. Was already. Yeah. And we're in that position now as well. I mean... Uh, Everything is set and ready, as I imagine it should be. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. With the Kramzog, um, you know, the maternity nurse who would come home and like help you. Do you remember when she came, day one, as soon as you got back home, or was it the next morning? I believe the uh, the midwife first showed up a couple of hours after we got home that same mm-hmm. evening. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I imagine we got home at five. I maybe. I, at the time, I cannot remember. Maybe it was eight o'clock. Maybe it was nine o'clock or so. She came by to just check on Fernanda and, and baby. But the uh, the Kramburg, Kramburg only came the next day. Okay, the next and morning. Then, and yeah, the next morning. And then we had the lady every day for about a week. 
Okay. A lovely lady. I mean, the first thing I did when she got home was uh, ask if there's anything I need to do. And usually that was when I took the window to take a couple of hours nap because right. there's one thing you don't get that first week, it's sleep. Yeah, yeah. How did you cope the first night without the sleep? At that time, you still have the adrenaline in your system. So it's still mm-hmm. new. It's like... It's like having a good evening out and you can do an all-nighter, right? You can do it the first, you can do it one night, but the next night and the third night, that's when it hits you. So I think the first the first day, two days, two, three days probably, you still have the adrenaline, it's still new, you're still energized. But uh, afterwards, it, it gets a bit more trickier. If mm. anything, the hardest it got for me was probably after half a year. That's when I really felt it in my wow. system. Like all of a sudden, my the sleep deprivation is getting to me. The biggest, biggest adjustment for me also being an introvert is you miss your time for yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm a person that, you know, I like to go do sports or read or watch a movie or something. And and essentially with a, with a young one, a lot of your personal life has is, is changed in that sense. Also, your mm-hmm. priorities change. So it's, you do a lot of it because you want to. But once the, the routine kicks in and it becomes a new normality, that's when you start realizing, yeah, I do miss a couple of these things. Right. And then you have to sit down and talk and say, well, how do we strike a balance? How do we allow one another a bit of time to still have personal life despite uh, the family commitment, etc.? But that's a whole different topic, I would imagine. No, but I, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to dig into that a little deeper because, because you said that we talk about sleep deprivation as the immediate impact of giving birth to a baby when there's a new little person at home. Sleep deprivation hits the parents, but in your case, you were able to actually cope with it for about six months. And then you say that, you know, after that, if you found it a little bit more harder, how was it with your employers? Were they were they understanding when you were going through this this whole transition as a parent, as a father? Yeah, I'm very fortunate with my company, very, very supportive. Yeah. Also, my line manager, his first baby was born, uh, I think, a month before Elena. So oh, uh, we, could, we actually would be exhausted every day together. <laughs> Um, what we also kind of arranged myself and, uh, and, and, and Fernando was that uh, especially, well, let me first say that I didn't go back to work full time. So at birth, I took, uh, I remember last, uh, last time I took two weeks straight that I took mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Then I worked three days a week for, oh, I think, okay. for about a month. So I worked Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays. Uh, then after that, I worked four days a week. Okay. Uh, because, you know, fortunately in the Netherlands, uh, the paternity leave has been quite uh, friendly. Yeah. And so, so I really benefited from that and, and tried to spread it out that way. And usually what I did is the nights, if I had to work the next day, like the three days, weeks, that night I would sleep in the spare room to get some rest because, uh, yeah, because of my work, I need to be sharp, especially I also mm-hmm. work, in, work in different languages, which uh, sure. takes, takes its toll on me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you were saying that, you know, the sleep deprivation is real and, you know, you, you start having conversation with one, with one another and trying to find out, you know, how to sort of like cope and adapt to all of that. How are you preparing yourself with now with the second pregnancy and with the second baby coming along? Have you sort of made some arrangements in terms of, okay, I want like a night nanny or someone to actually like take care of both the babies so that, you know, I can get some sleep. Have you thought about that, Rudolf? We have thought about it, but it's, uh, it's, we've also kind of accepted that you, you won't have both children sleeping at the same time. So I would probably do, do more of the, the duties with a toddler and Fernanda because she's doing breastfeeding. That means that I can also only do that much. Uh, well, yeah, I've got time off, so we'll just support. Um, yeah. It, yeah. This is something you, can, you cannot, just, you, I don't think you can prepare too much because you also don't know what the baby's going to be like. We were very fortunate with Elena. She was very quiet. She was always friendly. She slept well. But I also know some of my friends have children that 
yeah, or the exact opposite. You know, they don't want to sleep. They struggle to eat. They cry a lot. And and it's very possible that our second child can be like that. So then I think whatever you plan is out the window. You yeah. just go into a motion of, uh, well, dare I say survival, but a lot of it is instinct. Yeah, it is true. But it's nice that the both of you have already sort of like spoken about it so that you know when, if that happens, then you know that you might have to sort of like seek out for help. Yeah, well, we've also gonna, we've also accepted it will be tough. It's just yeah. one of the things, but it was a conscious decision by us uh, yeah. because we we both all, all soften, sometimes joke. We would like we wanted to have a, a, I wouldn't say a big family, but we want to have a, a couple of kids. And we cannot imagine all of a sudden having a night rest back, full sleep, getting yeah. a child out of diapers, starting to do individual stuff, going away, travel, whatever, and then having another child and go back to the diapers and the sleepless nights, et cetera. So we were like, you know what, let's, let's do this, get it over and done with, with all the kids, ideally. And, and, and then, you know, <laughs> so it will be a couple of years being difficult in that sense, but at least then it's done. That's the way we're approaching it. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I can clearly see that. I mean, it's, it's, it's true because, you know, you go through something and then, you know, you're going through sleep deprivation, diapers, and, you know, there's this, the night routine and the day routine and the daycare and all of that. And then if you sort of wait for another three or four years and you have to repeat it all over again and it can yeah. be quite we, 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 uh, did, we did agree beginning of this year though to get a bit more support at home so we do have an au pair that's really really great because if you have an au pair then you know you sort of know that some of these things can be delegated in yes. a, in a, yeah oh fantastic. Within, within boundaries so we uh, and there were multiple reasons for it the one being is when when we moved to to this new city and we were looking for for daycare we only mm. could, we could only find half a day a week Oh, wow. And with both of us working full-time, obviously, there was not a, a solution, right? So we needed more help. So right. we concluded a day, and our pair could be one way of doing it. But also, because Fernanda's Brazilian and her family only speak Portuguese, mm. she would very much like our daughter to also be raised in Portuguese. So we had upfront already agreed that we would get an au pair that can also speak Portuguese to, to our Oh, daughter. how wonderful is that? That's really, really nice. Yeah. So does Fernanda still talk to Elena in Portuguese and you speak to her in English? Yes, so okay, we, yeah. I, I speak English, uh, and then a daycare, she, she gets Dutch, of course. Dutch, so, of course. Uh, yeah. So she's pretty course. much being raised uh, trilingual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rudolf, do you also speak Afrikaans? No. Oh, that's my mother tongue, but uh, yeah. I don't speak Afrikaans to her. No, it's, I thought four languages would be a stretch. Just, uh, I think it's too much. And also my family can speak English, so it's, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So if they couldn't speak it, then it would be a different story. Yeah, but I also think that because, you know, she's going to be exposed to Dutch and I think, you know, Afrikaans, I think it sounds very, very similar, right? I mean, I, well, it's similar and different. I won't, I won't put it in the same, same category. But when I visited South Africa, I sort of felt like, you know, but I'm, I'm able to actually read and understand Afrikaans because of Dutch. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I, it's, yeah, I think if anything, it would be more confusing for her. Yeah. So you want to keep English, you know, with you and then Portuguese with Fernanda and now with the au pair. And then, you know, Dutch when she is at the daycare. Yeah, and but the, the irony is she's already probably speaking more uh, more, more Dutch than anything else. I mean, I'm she, she came back from daycare, all of a sudden say, do we, do we, did, did, apple, all the words that she just comes back with from daycare. <laughs> You're going to be learning Dutch very soon. <laughs> oh, I work in Dutch. For me, it's not a problem. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought that, you know, I think, um, oh, was it Fernanda? So the both of you do speak Dutch then. Yeah, she speaks, uh, she understands good Dutch, but she doesn't speak fluently. Okay, okay, get it, get it. I wanted to ask you this one. How has it been being a, a dad in the pandemic? 
you know, it's really hard for you to sort of like even sort of answer this question. I understand because the pandemic's still going on. Well, at least the intensity of, you know, the coronavirus has gone down and, you know, we are still sort of like living in a, in a society now, which is a little bit more freer than how it was a couple of years ago. But how have you navigated the role of being a parent, being a dad in the pandemic while you're raising a toddler? To start with, I, I haven't had raised a child outside of a pandemic, so I don't have anything to compare with much. Sure. But uh, a couple of things that I can recall, I mean, we did take some extra precaution. Uh, we started getting uh, groceries delivered, for example, at home. I, uh, I refrained from, from going to the gym for quite a long time until, for example, both me and Fernanda both had vaccines and, and of course, via the breastfeeding that uh, we knew that the baby would get the antibodies as well. Cool. So, so we took a lot of precaution in that sense. We also didn't meet with groups at all. Right. Um, but also the corona restrictions meant that yeah. you were only allowed to meet in smaller groups or there were a number of people at a time. And if anything, that probably made it easier for us because it's less overwhelming to have groups of people and everyone had wanted to pick up the baby and stuff like that. You were very precautious, yeah. Yeah, but, but I would like to think that even if it wasn't for the pandemic, we probably would have preferred uh, this kind of way of dealing with it in the early stage. I mean, mm. Also nice to not have to tell people you can't come and visit us uh, because yeah. we're tired. I mean, now we could say you can't come visit because there's COVID restrictions. You know, you have to stay at home. We'll let yeah. you know when, uh, when it's a decent time. Well, so sure. it, it definitely played in our favor, <laughs> if yeah. I dare say that, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. No, completely understandable because, you know, it's also really hard for you to sort of set very strict boundaries with friends and family. Whereas with restrictions, you could always say that, look, we're just being a little bit... Somebody else set the boundaries this time around, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, I'm very aware of the time, so I'm actually sort of coming to the very end of the uh, of this episode, but I just wanted to ask you a couple of things. What was your key takeaway while you were preparing yourself during the childbirth classes, you know, when you did hypnobirthing with me, plus by reading all those books and preparing yourselves, what was the key takeaway for you? I think, well, <laughs> as if I needed it, it was a good reminder that I'm very grateful for being a man. <laughs> um, but that we have a lot more as men to do and involvement than we realize. Despite the hard work being done by the women, there's a lot of emotional support and, and other work that you can do. And being knowledgeable helps. I mean, the fact yeah. that Fernanda would be worried about something and I had, for example, read about it or saw something about it. Like I say, well, this could be it or this could be it. So I could, I could follow, for example, as she went through her pregnancy. It was funny when she would, uh, like, let's say she would have an app that tells her now the baby is about this size and this is the kind of symptoms that you might be experiencing. And then I will tell her, yeah, and because based on this, this is what uh, you'll be doing and this is what I should be aware of and this is what I should not do around you, etc. So wow. uh, that, that also brings a bit of a humor, I guess, to, to the situation, which helps. I think you need to be open to, as a man, to do what your wife expects you to do or your partner expects you to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, again... Some women might want a man to be a lot more involved. Others want you just you to be there and organize and support. Other one might just be emotional, might be looking for somebody to to take out the frustrations out because I see that as well. And I mean, uh, we all it's no secret that uh, a pregnant woman has go through hormonal fluctuations. So, uh, understanding of all these things is uh, is certainly helpful. Yeah, yeah. But I find it hard to give you a, a very narrow answer to your question. It's. <laughs> If, if, if anything, I, uh, what, what helped me with the classes, I got a lot of confirmation about the stuff that I had read up on. Yeah. And then yeah. it was, okay, so this is not rubbish or what they say here is not just a rumor. Mm -hmm. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that so that was me. definitely gave me confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. 
Um, are there any few tips that you would actually give the dads or anybody who's going through postpartum or somebody who's waiting to go through the whole laboring process or somebody who's sleep deprived, anything that you would actually tell them? Well, I'm trying to think if there were a couple of things that I would have known beforehand that would have made me prepare for the stuff that I didn't say. But then you know, I guess people always, I, I don't want to be the cliche that tell you how tiring it is and how hard it is and then the end say, but it's all worth it, right? That's what everybody tells you. But there are certain things that probably if you know it up front, you probably think twice. <laughs> um, the, the biggest the biggest adjustment for me, Jitra, is I yeah. think in this last year and a half having a child, I personally have never been so sick at much in my life. Wow. Uh, a child going to daycare, et cetera, is just like you're constantly exposed to, to new mm -hmm. germs and stuff. And then baby is always the first to get sick. And usually mom is next to get sick. And then dad is next to get sick. Right, right. And then by the time you take your child back to daycare, she would go one time and she'll come back with something else. So, so that, that for me has been extremely frustrating. Yeah. And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. And especially yeah, in a, it's sort of like going through this like okay one virus after the other you know, yeah, but especially in, in a society where they encourage kids to get sick early on right they say get yeah. sick early on build the antibodies but it's it's really heavy for you as a parent i mean that adds to the sleepless nights right Even more snotty noses and, and fevers be aware at least i think in the first couple of days that that temperature maintain, maintaining is, is was quite a big thing for me uh you don't I, I at least I didn't know about it up front. I mean, yes, you get you get a beanie, you get some mittens, and you dress them warm. But right. uh, you constantly have to take temperature because the baby is still too young for the body to regulate itself. That for me was something that uh, that that I would tell people take note of. The diapers are not that bad. That's <laughs> for what it's yeah. worth. If anything, the diapers get bad later on. So uh, the funny thing is, the messy diapers are not smelly. The the ones that are not so messy are seriously smelly. So uh, yeah, that that, that changes. <laughs> Yeah, and, and just enjoy because it, it, it goes by so quickly. And I, again, that's probably something that pe everybody tells you. But when you get into this motion of survival, which is literally what it feels like for, for, for most of the time, mm -hmm. you just blink and another week has gone by, another month has gone by. And before you know it, baby is turning six months or turning a year. It's a roller coaster in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rudolph, thank you so much. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast episode are going to be very happy to listen to some of your insights because you've gone through one year and a half ago. And um, I'm going to wish you the very, very best to you and Fernanda because the baby is due anytime soon. And um, I want you to go through that postpartum experience as well. And I'm going to call you back on my episode to talk about that again. So thank you so much. I might have a different story here. next time around. <laughs> thank you so, so much. Thank you for being here. It's You're such very a welcome, Chitra. Thank you to all of you, my lovely listeners, for tuning into my podcast. I hope you found this episode informative. If you really like my podcast, then please do subscribe for more such episodes. Please feel free to share the podcast with your family and friends. And this will help others know that this podcast exists. Thank you once again and see you all next time. Thank you.